What's up, guys? Four Corners back with another episode. I am your host, Ray. You can find me online at Rayvon Hackshaw. Joined by my co-host, Peter, Buckets since 88. What's going on? What's up, Ray? Man, what a great time to be a Nuggets fan. Uh, uh, middle of May, which means the second round has just ended. And the yes. Nuggets are still alive. Only four teams left. Not are we still alive. We are on top. We are thriving. We are living. It's great. Uh, join for our three-man weave this week. We've got Damon, Three Cola, Three Cola Jokic, uh, Three Cola underscore Jokic on Twitter. What's going on? Um, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm ready to talk Nuggets. I'm ready to talk NBA. I uh, I, I spent a nice Mother's Day, and I, I'm just I'm, I, I've been avoiding basketball since we finished up the Sun. So I'm ready to relive that and jump into some some good juicy details of what's ahead with you guys. Nice, nice. I'm excited to uh, get started. So, since last time, uh, I will have to say I was wrong. The all the things that I said would happen did not happen. I said the uh, game, the series would most likely go to seven. That did not happen. I said uh, five was more likely than six. That also didn't happen. The, maybe it's maybe it's a curse. Maybe the Nuggets are just you know better than for the first time closing out a game on the road, which is the thing I doubted the most actually. And uh, I'm pretty proud, but uh, before I, I give my like full take, um, Damon, I'll let you, you know, guess first, jump in. Um, how, l- let me ask you this, based on the 2022-2023 season, who are the Denver Nuggets? I say they are in a parallel term to draw a comparison. They are the quiet guy at the bar is not going to start the fight that night, but is not worried one bit about what pops off inside of these four walls during the course of the evening. Um, they're ready. They're composed. They are ready to throw a first punch if they have to. But if they just get popped in the mouth randomly, they're not going to fall off their bar stool and, you know, cry about it. They're, uh, they're going to get back up and scrap, and I'm pretty damn sure they're going to win that fight. So I feel like they're uh, a quiet, confident contender at this point in the year. Yeah, I mean, mostly I I'm, I'm feel pretty confident about it with you but peter i mean i'll throw it to you have you has your opinion changed at all of, of denver over the course of these playoffs uh just from the regular season to now you know what it it has i mean i was confident but what i've seen this team has has a mature about them and you know i'm gonna save this for later I mean, but we'll get into like more X's and O's analysis later. But, you know, since Damon already mentioned like what kind of team they are, I'm going to use a term that doesn't really get used. I feel like in basketball talk very much, this is much more used in college football. This team is on a mission. You know, like this team has been through it for years. This has been a long time coming. You know, I don't know if there were any rah-rah speeches before the season or everybody huddled together, but. You know, a lot of it's going to the, the year with the championships the goal. And I'm not saying the Lakers aren't trying to win, but the Lakers are doing this a lot more on the fly, kind of like the Suns were, right? This Nuggets team has been together. 
they know who their patient is, they know what their job is, and they are focused and they are laser focused. And you can tell that they are still bothered by not getting the respect, but they're not going to talk about it now. This is all going to come out, you know, once the season is over, because right now they are laser focused on the tech at hand and they still got eight more games to win. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, it's hard not to see this year for Denver in particular as the culmination of so many layers of, of challenges going back from uh, going back to game 82 of the regular season versus the Timberwolves all the way to now of just learning sequential lesson, lessons for, I think, Jokic as an individual, but also for Michael Malone and for the organization as a whole um, that, you know, this is, is the... How do I put this? This is just the big, the the big final concert. Yeah, the culmination. This is where you you take all that stuff and, and put it on to onto paper. And, and so far, so good. I mean, they're uh, not just passing, but you know, I, I'm curious what you guys think of this. I don't feel like Denver's actually been pushed. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Hundred yeah. percent. I mean, hundred percent. The Suns, well, so there was a very important tweet that I thought Harrison Wynn had after the series was over about this was a team of individuals versus a real team. You know, what Evan Booker did in games three and four was absolutely incredible. Like, no lie, that was one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen. And those were both single-digit victories, right? Usually you get a performance like that and it's a blowout. The fact that the Nuggets were in both of those games you know, I should have been more confident going into game five, but the Nuggets obviously weren't worried. I mean, <laughs> it was so funny. Remember, the whole the whole game ends up coming down to, you know, everybody's talking about the whole uh, Jokic technical pushing HBM and HBF flops. And then before game five, Jokic walks up to him and hands him the basketball <laughs> and then walks away. And is like, oh, no, what just happened? So from that moment, I felt so much better just knowing that, like, Jokic wasn't worried and that – uh you know, that the better team was going to win out. They're like, we just got to, we got to work harder to make Booker work. You know, it's really, it was really encouraging to hear about the film session and how Malone was looking for input from the guys. And KCP said, I want to pressure him full court to make him work. And so to have that, that two way back and forth trust with between player and coach is so big when it comes to solving problems the opponent presents. Yeah. Um, I mean, talking about uh, Matt, Matt Ishbio for, for a moment, I, I felt like as much as it was a very dramatic thing at the time that it happened to have this sort of uh, player versus owner dispute on court, especially in an era where we're talking about protecting players and all these sorts of the number of players who have been kicked out of arenas and um, all these sorts of things. For him to follow it up with making a honestly a really nice friendly gesture and to kind of de-escalate the situation i think as much as his play has elevated him in people's minds and i think that's very much true that people are watching and seeing that hey this guy is actually not only is he the truth but he's the truth every night you know in a way that not a lot of players are and you can talk about other players in the league, but also on like a personal, an interpersonal level that he's just um, a likable guy. You know, you can see that it's not fake the love that he 
uh, that, that people feel for him both in the organization and as fans that, that we look at, at Nikola Jokic and see someone, not just who we respect, but, but who we admire. And that's, that's really nice. I feel well represented in that way, in that like inter fan base community. But um, yeah, I, I'm just, it's just, I'm really happy. I, I really feel fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, so, I would love to uh, to add one thing on that uh, Ishpia sure. situation before we move on, just because yeah. I know that in a couple seconds here we're going to be discussing the, you know the outcome of that series and kind of what changed, what worked for the Nuggets, how to how to you know kind of go from two two to four two in the blink of an eye. But really, it felt to me while it was a, a polite gesture, it was almost uh, it was almost like a uh, a sly assassin. When Jokic, when Jokic went and handed him the ball. <laughs> like, when Jokic handed it to him, it was almost like he was saying, you wanted this this bad. Well, here you go. And then he completely proceeded to absolutely dismantle his team, player by player, piece by piece. And I'm not so certain at this point, looking back on it, that he was talking about that basketball. Like, I think he was talking about what he was about to do to his team for the next two games. He said, like, you wanted it. Okay, like, well, now I'm going to give it to you. And he gave him the ball and walked away. And 15 minutes later, he was lighting the city of Phoenix on fire. So it's kind of the the Jokic version of two points isn't just two points. I'll tell you later. Because I don't know if he ever told us later, but, you know, he might have shown us. So... To, to kind of get into the weeds somewhat of the series, uh, Peter, I'll ask you, where do you feel like I, given going, having uh, basically consecutive two win runs between the teams, where do you feel like the pivot points were the adjustments that Phoenix were able to make that made this series competitive and the things that Denver was in response able to do to overcome those? So Phoenix made a concerted effort to go more away from their defensive-minded role players. Um, Torrey Craig basically got benched for the rest of the series. And Okogi played less, too, and they played a lot more Shamit. And uh, Campaign had to play more because Chris Paul got hurt as well, which, you know, definitely helped them in Game 3. They were faster. And then Game 4 was more the same. But uh, once they got to game five, the Nuggets, I feel like they really just locked in better. Um, you know, the, t- the talent went out. I-, I don't think that it was reasonable to expect the Suns guys to to play so well again. And uh, I think, you know, I really don't like to pile on guys if, if I think, like, they're nice guys and, and don't mean poorly, but, like, DeAndre Ayton got abused in this series. You know, we, we've seen Jokic abuse multiple players, but Ayton is, is a guy that's especially always been complimentary of Jokic, right? Like he's never been a guy that didn't bite. He was always kind of like one of the first ones to be like, no, this guy's like really good. He's legit. So I think some, Nuggets fans have always kind of been like, yeah, we, we don't mind Ayton. But he got absolutely destroyed in this series. He gets hurt in the end of game five, can't play in game six, and that was just basically all she wrote because I mean, Landale is a try hard player. He's an energy guy. 
<laughs> he, he can't affect Jokic. I mean, Jokic, that was like the easiest 32 I think I've ever seen him have. And the thing that really sticks out to me about Jokic now is not only do I think we all think he's the best player in the NBA, but I think he has the highest floor of any player in the NBA by like a significant margin. I mean, when does the guy ever have bad games? I think there's been like a couple times within the last few years where we look at the stat line at the end of a game and Jokic had a triple double and we're like, he didn't really even play that well tonight. Like to have those type of games and say you didn't play well is just mind boggling. I mean, Kawhi Leonard has, I believe, one triple double in his whole career. The guys like made first team all NBA and been two finals MVP twice. You know, Jokic just goes out and puts up stats without even blinking. And, uh, you know, the Suns, they were just small. I knew that was going to be the, a lot of people say depth. You know, depth was definitely a huge factor in the series. But to me, it was just like size. You know, if, if you're smaller than the Nuggets, good luck. Yeah. And I actually do have, there's a like a through line to that that I think about. But uh, Damon, when you, so looking back at the series, is there anything that the Suns were able to do that gives you pause going forward for Denver? Maybe not that the Suns were going to be able to exploit this to the level that would be an issue, but in a future series, not even talking about the Lakers, not even talking about who might be ahead. Um, I guess it boils down to, are there any weaknesses that you see or have seen in Denver's game? I mean, of, of course, uh, I don't think that, you know, Denver, I'm not as enough of a homer to think that they're rolling out a perfect team here. Uh, but I don't think my, I guess what my answer would be would be that no team that we've faced, no player that we've faced has really shown an ability to exploit a weakness in the system that has allowed them to change the game. Anthony Edwards had some great games. Devin Booker had some great games. But I would argue that it's not that the Nuggets system was torn apart by Devin Booker and he was able to have those great games because he forced his will on the Nuggets. They had a hand in his face. He was soft doubled on some. I mean, I, I distinctly remember him pulling up over Jeff Green and who, Bruce Brown, maybe both of them at the same time and just launching a, a, a what, a 24-footer or something ridiculous and just nailing it. So... I don't think that anybody's been able to exploit the weaknesses that necessarily Denver may have. Uh, I don't think that there's anything that Phoenix did that gives me pause just because I'm not sure looking at the rest of the entire, even into the East, the rest of the playoff teams. Are there any scorers that are as potent as KD, as Devin Booker, or even a guy like Anthony Edwards, like you saw when he got hot and he was getting to his spots and getting downhill. Like, I don't even think there's a score of his caliber left in the playoffs. That's really going to torch you from that, that guard position. That's really been what's given Denver headaches so much in the past. So. You're okay. saying just guards, right? I mean, obvious. I mean, 
you said Aiton was abused, and I'm not going to cape for him, but, like, I think that... I think that without Aiton, they crumbled. Um, I think that no no right. big man since the bubble has really imposed their will on the Nuggets like that. So since AD was shooting lights out from three, and he hasn't since, like, there's not been a big that's really been able to disrupt Denver's entire scheme like that. Yeah, sure. I think that's fair in the sense that, you know, what I really love about Jokic is I always – I've always thought of him very similarly to LeBron James in this particular way, that LeBron brought a level of physical dominance to the small forward position while also having a perfect understanding of the balance between leveraging his own physicality and creating opportunities for other people. And through that sort of dynamic is able to be uh, unsolvable in that way. And so to your point, what I, and what I have felt, uh, throughout these playoffs, I mean, to some extent, right. Because there's always limitations to this because at the end of the day, Nikola Jokic is somewhat inevitable that he has been able to figure out almost any and every matchup that's been put in front of him so far in that even when he does struggle, it's almost a team effort and a collaborative thing. But that collaborative thing is to the point of can you find a way somehow in God's green earth to prevent Nicola from physically dominating uh, the paint, from physically dominating the game? It usually involves an elite defender, uh, not just an elite defender, but elite defender at the uh, center position, someone who's a true seven-footer, along with sort of additional help and guys who are winning the physicality battle at the four, at the three, at the two, kind of up and down a unit almost is what you need to slow him down so that he has that much help and difficulty uh, doing things like the, the rebounding and just sort of controlling that space. So when I do look ahead, uh, and we're going to get to that in, in a few moments, but the things I'm on the one of the things I'm on the lookout for are teams that are able to who can provide that much size and, and still have a capable lineup that that's able to you know that's able to score that's able to sort of uh, get up and down the court and do the things that they need to do to still be you know you can't run up as much as I want to see it because I am this crazy I would love to see a lineup of all seven footers but how many coaches are willing to do that. Uh, so are there, so Peter, I mean, outside of that, first off, do you agree? And are there any things outside of that, that you might look for? In terms of slowing the nuggets um, down? Just, yeah, things that could slow down the nuggets. Yeah, I mean, I think the Timberwolves actually did a better job than the Suns of trying to be physical with the Nuggets, right? I just I felt agree. like they, they didn't really have the horses on offense. You know, mm -hmm. I thought that Ant was, like, playing on a level that was good enough to win that series. I, I thought they were they – were, he was really taking over a lot of those games. They just couldn't stop this. I mean, the Nuggets' offense is ridiculous, um, you know, and, and Jokic just put their bigs in foul trouble. And uh, the Suns – in a weird way, I, I felt like it was 
almost an easier matchup for the Nuggets because they could just beat them up. You know, they beat them up on the boards. They got a ton of second chance points. Aaron Gordon had a good series. Um, even though he was in foul trouble, he he did a good job on Durant. You know, he held Durant in check for for KD's, you know, how he usually does. He he shot a lower percentage than he usually would. So you know, we'll yeah, we'll talk in a little bit about going forward, but take away like He was because going into the series, I'm like, okay, we got Jokic, we got Durant, we got Booker. Those are like the clear top three. Fourth best player in the series is Murray. And we were all talking about like, can Murray step up? Can he be good enough to be like on, like somewhat near Booker or Katie's level? And what ended up happening was, even though Booker went off in a couple games, Jokic was like, clearly the best player in the series, right? I mean, I've never seen Kevin Durant get his ass kicked by another player in a playoff series the way he did in that series. Now, I know he's not the guy matching up with him one-on-one, but Jokic didn't have a bad game in the series. He was the best player in the series by far. And now this is a track record with this guy, right? He's been the best player in a playoff series with Gobert and Donovan Mitchell with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Like this guy is just taking bodies, you know, and Jalen Rose said the other day, said the other day, you know, this guy's a superstar. I mean, we know he's been a superstar, but then Kevin Durant after the series was over said, you know, this guy's going to go down as all time. Great. And that's absolutely what we mean, right? I mean, this guy just toys with people. He scores so easily and, we're going to have the best player in the series going forward. And so I'm excited because any, as you guys know, anytime you have the best player, you got a chance to win the series. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's on a level where because he dominates, because he can, he can give you buckets, right. And he can kind of play that role of the volume scorer. And that's amazing. And that can match any kind of like, you can outscore Devin Booker. You can outscore Kevin Durant. You can outscore all these guys, but he also does the like he gets you 15 rebounds a game you know he's making defensive plays for you he's being your lead sort of generator of assists and and good opportunities on that end as well so the fact that he's so well-rounded i think as a superstar is just i think what sets him above uh pretty much anyone else in the league and and why when I think about where he is going to, and this is obviously massive levels of projection and, you know, anticipation, you know, things that may or may not happen, but I see him as like a top 10, maybe a top five player at the end of the day. And just in terms of, you know, and I see it's crazy, I think, to consider any changes to lists like that, but the consistency with which he's able to do all the things that he does that I just talked about that he's done it every night for going on four, five, six, seven, eight years. And that he looks to have no signs of slowing down in terms of he's almost always been healthy. He's uh, wants to play. He's not a guy who's going to sort of lean away from the game just because he's not interested, even the Nikola Jokic that is 50% engaged is still a dominant player. So 
so there's no reason for me when I think about it that he can't go out and, and, and win multiple championships, that he can't win multiple MVPs, that he can't go down as one of the best players, if not uh, in the conversation for being the best player at his position at the very least of all time. I, I don't know, Damon, do you want any, do you want to add, do you want to add to the vibes while we, while we give Jokic his flowers? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. I do. I think that he is on the verge and a lot of people kind of probably don't contextualize this properly, but if you think of reverse engineer it, right? Where does Jokic step up against the best players who haven't won a ring? Cause that's where he is. He's a very, very, very good player who hasn't won a ring. So if you start opening that conversation, you're looking at people like Charles Barkley. You're looking at people like, oh, I don't know, Steve Nash. Like you start getting to people that are very, very good players and one ring, eight more wins. And you're going to have a hell of a hard time arguing with me that Jokic doesn't belong above them in a long historical context view. I mean, two MVPs. I, I struggle to think, although Jamal has had a great couple series uh, this year, which he really has. I struggle to think there's any world in which the Nuggets get to and then win the finals and Jokic isn't walking out of there with a finals MVP. So we're looking at a ring and a finals MVP and it, it, it just, is he a better player than Barkley with that ring and finals MVP? I'm not going to say it definitively, but like that conversation opens up after this year, if he accomplishes that. So I think that the standing that he stands to like move into is a lot higher than uh, non Denver Nuggets fans are really aware of right now. You know, it's funny. I could totally see him not winning finals MVP <laughs> just because he has, um, well, it's not to say that I think Jokic won't play well in the finals or that he won't be dominant in the finals, but I think there's two aspects of it in terms of, you know, because someone, uh, when we talk about awards, for better or worse, as we have seen in this year's MVP race, awards are often about narratives and what you're willing to feed into. And I think he himself is someone who is very willing to give a lot of credit to his teammates and to the people around him. And we love that for him at the same time, you know, it can for better or worse, hurt you in these sorts of conversations. Also Jamal Murray's on the team, you know, and, and as much as I think Jokic is great, Jamal can do things that I think are impactful, uh, not only on the game, but I think in people's minds and hearts that, could uh, I could very much see him getting a finals MVP um, if he has the right set of games. And, and to kind of talk about that a little bit, I mean, so to get back to one of the things that I feel like Denver struggles with, if I'm an opposing team or I want to go into a game, a series against the Nuggets, and how do I approach them and try to bring them to struggle? Um I feel like Denver has struggled the most when Jamal Murray has fallen too much in love with his own game in that way, that when they move away from playing as a team, when they move away from playing together, yes, sometimes they're so talented 
you have Michael Porter, you have John Marmarie, you have Nikola Jokic, that they don't need good offensive process to win these games, some of them. But I do think it opens them up to, it's possible, they just have an off day. You know, whoever that guy might be who takes that many shots, just have an off day. And at that point, then you have, that's when you start to have a chance. And, and the funny thing is, I don't feel like for, we kind of talked about earlier, the Nuggets not being challenged. I think that's been a big part of it. The Nuggets haven't always felt like they've had to be that dialed in as a team where they could, I see it, you know, I see it in them that you could have three guys all averaging 30 points a game, all scoring at like a 65, 70% true shooting percentage. And the, the thing I'm really excited about actually, um, Peter, you know, I'm the, the resident Nuggets Jamal critic. I feel like in this series more, I think the fact that he's doing this more often is he's tapping into that balance that I was talking about with Jokic and with LeBron, where you have that, you have that aggression, you have that way to say, I can win this game for my team if I do enough and it goes well, but balancing that with, I can still uh, trust my teammates and, and draw that. All I need to do is draw a double and I've got three or four guys next to me who can also get buckets and when he was able to tap into that, I think that's when the game and the series in my mind, and maybe even in the Suns' minds, I think really blew open that those two things are probably what I look at as far as like overcoming Jokic with size and maybe can you bait Jamal out of good process? Sure. But I'm seeing more, more of that, more good process over time than less. I don't know if you, do you feel... And yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think, you know, he really evolved as the series went on, right? Because he had an amazing game one. They focused way more attention on him game two, and it was rough. And and Jamal, you know, it's kind of human nature to an extent, too. He always wants to, like, make up for the last mistake or the last bad game. Mm-hmm. So he pressed a little bit in those games, and it's like Moch had to pull him aside and be like, hey, man, we know you're how good you are, but we got a really good team if you just – play the game the way Jokic does, which is really hard for, you know, American, I know he's Canadian, but like, you know, it, it's hard for the way North the American. system is over here, the way you brought up, yeah, to to just play 100% unselfish basketball. But he's like, you know what, you're right. I, I got I to gotta trust my guys more and, you know, pick his spots better. And he did that in the last couple of games. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but The Ringer had a really nice article this week about, the Jokic Murray connection. And I thought they did a really good job of explaining that as great as Nikola Jokic is, it's in his nature to be unselfish. He wants to get other guys going and set other guys up. And in order for that to work, you need a guy who wants to take the shots. And so that's why him and Jamal is such a good pairing because Jamal's not afraid, right? He's not James Harden. I mean, we can talk about that game later if you guys want, but you know, last year he goes out sad and goes, oh, the ball didn't find me. You know, I'm just making plays. Like, Jamal would never say anything like that, ever. <laughs> like, if Jamal is going to lose, it's going to be because he went down swinging. And that's what we're seeing so far in these playoffs. And I will say, uh, on the back of that, just to touch on what both of you guys just mentioned, Jamal is not a play. 
I don't want to say this. I don't want to say it in like a definitive term, but Jamal has not been perceived by a lot of NBA fans as a playmaking guard. Uh, he's a scoring guard. That's how a lot of people have viewed him. Um, he has been adamant since he came to the Nuggets organization that I am a point guard. And there's been so many suggestions uh, just in you know, private chats that I'm sure you guys have uh, been a part of with me about people thinking that, you know, maybe Jamal needs to move off ball. Maybe Jamal's a two. Maybe Jamal isn't quite a, a point guard. And this offseason specifically, he is averaging more assists over the 11 games he's played than he ever has. I mean, it's it's six and a half assists a game. He averages around four, like pretty regularly if you go back and look at his his year over year stats you'll you'll just see four assists four assists four assists a game so to go two and a half assists more a game and actually show in the the metrics in the actual the proof is there in the statistics jamal is scoring more efficiently he's at above 20 a game but he's also not forcing it. So I agree with you, Ray. I think that when he does get into that, almost like a horse with the blinders on, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it's the best thing for the Nuggets, but I will say that I trust him more than I ever have in the past to kind of avoid those pitfalls and stay on the Jokic ball system that's gotten us where we are. Yeah, no, I, I'm very enthused um when i when i do think about i will i will say i do think jamal does benefit from a guard next to him who can take on some of those ball handling duties in um and i would say even in that way denver has grown a lot over the years when you think about making the transition from gary harris to contavious caldwell pope where you know gary did a solid job at 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 certain points of of being responsible with the ball he was trustworthy but he wasn't super wasn't the most fluid guy and i think shifting to kcp kcp a lot more productive as a shooter not just in a set stance but also a guy who's able to you know take a couple dribbles get to that sort of uh foul line extended point and hit those mid-range shots as well as uh just the speed and pace and creativity to attack on the break and to kind of, and he's a guy who came into the league playing a little bit more point guard and, and being that kind of a guy. So I, I think that's an upgrade. And I would almost say that he is, he's not Lonzo Ball, because I think the ideal point guard, the ideal guard maybe next to Jamal is Lonzo Ball when he was healthy, just somebody with size and defense and sort of that sort of IQ. But I think Denver has done a pretty good job in surrounding Jamal with guys. You talk about KCP, you talk about Bruce Brown, you talk about Aaron Gordon, uh, even Michael Porter, I think, is a guy who thinks the game to some extent, I think, the right way. So that they've surrounded him with guys who can kind of um, meet him where he is, I think, as a ball handler. And I think that's been really fruitful for them. And, and, I, and to that point, I kind of want to give a lot of credit to KCP and Aaron Gordon in, in both of these series for like just just doing a bang up job uh, of fitting in and um, being being just the ideal pieces around the big three. I, you know, I don't think I could really ask for more in, in that sense. 
Um, before, I mean, Peter, if you have anything you want to add to that, um, we could also go. Well, after this, we'll take a break um, and then we'll kind of transition to the Lakers. But do you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, last thing real quick is I just want to give some quick flowers to MPJ, who I thought has been really locked in on both ends. You mm -hmm. know, I think that, you know, obviously the Nuggets and their coaching staff has noticed these things. It, you know, you really got to look closely to, to see the progress sometimes. But there are so many plays in a game where there's the initial pick and roll up top, you know, either Jokic is at the level or it's a trap, the ball is swung, and then the ball is thrown to the roll man. And so often in the past, MPJ has been laid on that rotation and it ends in an easy dunk or a foul or a jump and a flyby and then a drop off to the other guy for a dunk. And he's been making that rotation so well now that oftentimes it just ends up in the guy he rotated to dribbling out or kicking it back out. But that's still huge. If you force the offense to make one more pass, that's one more chance for a turnover, a shot clock violation, or just the ball to go to a guy that the offense doesn't really want it ending up in that guy's hands. So I think MPJ, while you know he's not increased his like stocks, you know, blocked a crazy amount, his just activity and knowing where to be in his team has really helped. The entire team a lot because as you guys know in defense it's it's a group effort if you have one weak link the whole defense can fall apart and the fact that he's gone from being bad to being not only capable but i would say a plus i mean ray you were on this early like when he got hurt remember and then they had to use bruce mm -hmm. brown who everybody thinks is a better defender but he's a lot smaller you know having mpj that just a cumulative length really helps the entire defense become pretty solid yeah I think Denver's been able to really be a good defensive team, especially when they're when they're locked in. I mean, there are moments when they're lock, not locked in, but they've been few and far between. And uh, when you look across, I think the defenses that are left in the NBA, there are very few with the cumulative to that point, cumulative length, the size, the rebounding, and just the consistency. Uh, I will say. To touch on that, uh, I know you you uh, mentioned the Aiton thing earlier, Peter. Uh, when Jokic would step up to the level of the pick and roll and play with his action active hands and, uh, you know, uh, just kind of play the defense that Denver likes to do, and MPJ would immediately move into the paint, tag Aiton as the low man. I didn't see, like many times if at all Aiton treated that like a mismatch and we know Aiton is stronger than MPJ uh so there is something to his defense there's something to the way he is playing the game now that other players are instinctively like oh crap this guy's not a mark you know Aiton wasn't like if he really felt that he'd be barking for that ball and it just wasn't the first thing that entered into his mind. So I, I think that's super admirable to see not only us as Nuggets fans be like, wow, good defense, Mike, but to see it actually play out on the court where guys aren't like, you know who's the weak man on the floor right now? Michael Porter Jr. To see that not happen is, I think that speaks more volumes than any of us ever could. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I both agree that Mike is such a leaps and bounds 
uh, I think ahead of where he came to the league at, I think, and even relative to other forwards, I think he's a plus defender. You know, that being said, I mean, before we kind of close the door on the Phoenix Suns, uh, Peter, I'm curious what you think about their dynamic in terms of of that, where there were certainly a lot of possessions and a lot of, especially when Chris Paul went out, where the Suns don't really seem to value what DeAndre, uh, what DeAndre Aiden can contribute on the offensive end beyond being a guy who can finish plays. Do you, I mean, <laughs> to what extent uh, do you feel like that is a mistake on their part? And I mean, what do you feel like is next for them now that they're, I mean, you can kind of see how they finished as a season. Yeah, I mean, I thought Damon made a great point because I saw the same thing. It seemed like when Aiden caught the ball, you know, within five feet of the basket, he wasn't afraid to go up and either finish or dunk it over MPJ. But if he caught it like seven to ten feet, it was more mm-hmm. like I'm going to turn around and either kick it back out or, you know, maybe take one dribble. But he didn't really have like a bag to go to. And, you know, I don't I'm not I don't watch enough Suns to tell you like how much or little bag he has. I don't think it's that much. But it's more of a mentality thing, right? It's more like I think he goes into the game thinking this is my job. I have this narrow role. I don't want to screw up because if I screw up, I'll get yelled at. So it's like he only wants to take good shots instead of maybe exploring his game a little more because if it doesn't go in, they might be like, what the hell? So, yeah, I think it's been a very strange dynamic all throughout. But at the same time, you see some of these clips where Suns fans go like, look, he wasn't trying here or there, or, you know, he just isn't good enough sometimes. So I get the frustration, but I do think it's very strange that the scapegoat of their team is like a max player who you absolutely need, right? Whereas you'd be looking at like Nuggets fans, you know, I know we've litigated this time and time again, like Will Barton was the scapegoat a lot, but he's still a role player, right? He's still like a guard that just has plays that look really bad every now and then. To me, Aiden is like, if you want to call him a role player, that's fine. But he's your starting center, and he's one of the most important pieces of your team. He's, in my opinion, you know, one of the most important reasons they went on that run and made the finals a couple of years ago. He was excellent in those Western Conference playoffs, and he was excellent in the first few games finals. And then, uh, you know, Giannis kind of took it to him after that, but Giannis takes it to a lot of people. So they're in a weird spot right now. Their owner just fired the coach. So who knows what they're going to do if they're going to try to trade Aiden or not. I'm sure they're going to try to, but like everybody else said, you know, people watch the games. You know, I don't think his value is that high right now. I will say uh, there's been some real revisionist history from Aiden is good enough to stop Jokic to get this guy off my (laughs) team. He is absolutely not an NBA player. So, I mean, I feel bad for right. Aiden in that sense because we know the truth is more than that. But there was a point a year ago where He's it was not a like, for sure. he can lock down a two-time MVP. And now it's like, he does not deserve a job. And that's from their own fans. So I will just say that's like a really heavy swing. Uh, I don't think he deserves that 100%. But yeah, there's some big questions for him in uh in moving forward from this and wherever he ends up, I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching curiously to see how Aiton's career moves forward. I, I think he, there's a lot of value 
to be had if you are another team and you're interested in maybe taking that. I think about a team like Charlotte. If you're a team like Charlotte, mm -hmm. you look at maybe look at DeAndre Aiden. Yeah, maybe you want to, you can take Chris Paul. I, I think that's a, a maybe a great tandem. That it seemed like to me, the guy who was getting the most out of DeAndre Ayton was Chris Paul. Now, when he came off the floor, they really lost a lot of the production from DeAndre as well. Just because I, I do feel like his bag is probably not as shallow as he's displayed in Phoenix, and, and maybe just being in a lower pressure environment having a little bit of a reset, getting to play with a guy like um, LaMelo Ball. I'm, I'm just off the top of my head. I think that kind of team, that kind of situation could be good for him where he gets a bit of a reset and some other team says, hey, uh, we can maybe step up from being one of the worst teams in the league to maybe being a playoff team. And that's that's valuable for some teams. I'm not going to say that they're going to be contenders or anything, but I think it could be fruitful. And you know what I think also, Ray? I think, you know, last thing, I know we got to move on. I think sometimes mm -hmm. how good you are as a player, oftentimes it's fit with the organization and culture, but it's also literal fit with other types of players on the floor. When I look mm -hmm. at Aiden and his game, He's pretty strong, but he is a very finesse big, right? Like, he's not a back-you-down, dunk-on-you type player. He's a really smooth, fluid player who can finish a pick-and-roll and who can shoot. I would like to see him next to, like, a really physical power forward, right? Like, if you had him playing next to Aaron Gordon, that would – I think he'd be great, you know? Or maybe even, like, a like a prime P.J. Tucker player, right? Like, if you put, like, a junkyard dog next to Aiden to be the guy that does the dirty work – or like Draymond even. If you put that type of power forward next to it, I think eight would really get to shine because he is more of like a a Carl Anthony Towns type personality. Very skilled, but if you're asking him to be the dog, that's just not really his personality in my opinion. So Jordan Poole for DeAndre Ayton, who says no? <laughs> crickets. Just I don't know. <laughs> I'm just spitballing. We'll we'll get we'll have the offseason trade machine type podcast uh, in the future. <laughs> but uh, let, let's take a quick break. And then on the other side, we'll uh, look ahead to the Lakers series. And we are back. So Los Angeles, the Lakers. What is a Laker? I don't know. Are there, how many lakes are there in Los Angeles? Not as many as uh, Minneapolis, to be honest. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, the mainstays uh, going into this matchup against the Denver Nuggets, against Jamal Murray, against Nikola Jokic, against Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon. Um, Peter, I'll start off with you. So going into this matchup, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your concern level and, uh, and why, basically? Uh, my concern level is at an eight. Is five average or is seven average? For me? Yeah. Probably seven. We could have played the Thunder in the first round. I would have been at a five. Like I still would have been somewhat okay. concerned that Shea Gilgis would just go off okay. and Lou Dor hits threes. And 
all of a sudden we're in game six in OKC and it's like, what? what's going on here? But uh, Fair. I, I think, you know, a lot of people when it comes to predicting sports outcomes like to look at history, which is interesting because it can tell you some things, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything going forward, right? So, but in this case, these teams played a couple of years ago in the bubble, right? And the main main guys are still there. It's Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic versus Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And the Lakers handled that series. And we'll talk about the differences, but just the fact that LeBron won that series, he's not a guy that's hurting for confidence. He's going to know, hey, I beat these guys before. I can do it again. Like, he's definitely already thinks he can win. Davis thinks he can win. And he's going to convince the rest of those guys in that locker room, even though it's a mostly new group, other than those two, you know, and get this done. So my biggest concern is simply, like, the Lakers, if you would have played them in the first round, I kind of would have liked it better because they're coming off, like, a play-in game that they barely won. But now that they've had a couple rounds, they've really built confidence, guys. So... I know that we're a different team than the Grizzlies and the Warriors, but you know, the Lakers are, they're playing better every week. It seems like, so they're, it's just, we're playing the Lakers at a time when they're kind of firing on all cylinders as far as like from the kind of season they've had, they're at least, you know, they're, they're, they're not playing like a seven seed is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, they started at two and 10, I think something along those lines. So to come from that yeah. kind of low point, I can only imagine how the Nuggets would feel if they were at a similar point. And to come from there to make the playoffs when, frankly, there were points in the season where they had no business looking like they should be in the playoffs. Uh, to make a bunch of moves and have a lot of them work out pretty well for them and get to a seven seed, I uh, that's commendable. At the same time, to your point, the Nuggets are a different team, you know, and this is a different time. And uh, I don't want to make any commentary for fear of uh, karmic retribution on just Lakers Nuggets playoff matchups historically in general. But what I, Damon, I'll ask you this: when you think about the Lakers. And you look and you think about LeBron, especially at this point in the career, in his career, how do you see him in terms of uh, comparing, comparing him to the guys who are at the upper echelon of the league right now? Like guys like Nikola Jokic, guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, obviously, he's had a long period of his career where he was, without real question, the best player in the league. How much do you feel like time is going to be a factor for him? And in what, to what extent do you feel like that can have an impact on this series? Uh, can I curse on here? Let's just get that out of the way. We don't have sponsors, so it's fine. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I am shit scared of LeBron at this point <laughs> in time. If you were to okay. ask me this question mid-season, uh, you would have gotten a very measured and probably a thoughtful answer on LeBron James' legacy and his current like position in the NBA pantheon and how he's done such an amazing job over 20 years to hold on to that. 
but like now it's the playoffs and I've never seen him blow it in the playoffs. I've seen him have terrible teams and not be able to get it done. I've seen him not just finish the job for whatever reason. I've never turned on a playoff game that LeBron James was playing in and was like, <laughs> no, he's going to have a bad night. Like, so, I mean, right now, as a Nuggets fan coming into this series, sorry for the feedback there, um, it's, it's just terrifying. I mean, I only have the image of LeBron James, like the god that eats worlds and craps out titles, you know? So... I'm scared at this point, but we'll see. I, I, I do think that, you know, his age is going to play a factor, but, like, it's almost like a, a, a karmic knock on wood where it's like, I'm not going to bet against LeBron James vocally. I'll wait till we get to AD. Then I've got some things to say. <laughs> Fair. Peter, how about you? How, um, how much do you feel like, you know, LeBron's had a long season. Uh, he's had a stretch of games. I think he's talked about in post-game press conferences prior that they've kind of been in playoff mode for a while. And we've seen how that sort of mentality affects guys like Jokic in past seasons and, and that sort of thing. How much do you feel like that plays into this matchup? Sorry, how do you feel like that plays into this matchup with the with, between the Lakers and the Nuggets in 2023? Yeah, I mean... Totally fair question. I think uh, LeBron has been working hard for a long time to get to this point for this season. He, they've been in playoff mode. He doesn't look worn down to me yet. Um, but the Nuggets are in a different position now than they've been in in previous playoff runs, right? We're, we're used to them having to go like long series, seven-game series. Jokic gets tired. And uh, he didn't get tired last series, guys. He he looked just as good in game six as he did in game one. Um, you know, and even though it went six, remember, we since the first series was over early, we started uh, the second round series early, and we had that nice break between games uh, two and three. So, yeah, the Nuggets went six, but they really just had four games in the last, like, 12 days or something. So the Nuggets are going to be well-rested. Both teams should be okay going into this series. And LeBron, this is one of my two biggest questions for this series. LeBron James has been good in these playoffs, but he hasn't been apex LeBron yet. He hasn't needed to be. Does he have that next level in him, right? Does he have conference finals level LeBron James still in there? And, you know, Brian Windhorst has said something over the years that I think is extremely accurate about great players when they age it's not when you start declining it's not that the peaks you get robbed of it's the consistency lebron james is going to have two great games in this series i'm just preparing nuggets fans for that right now the question is are the lakers going to be able to win two out of those other five games so can lebron do more than he's been doing because he's so good at being on cruise control and doing exactly what is required. He's going to have to do more in this series. Can he do it? We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a very valuable question. Uh, I mean, I personally, I fully expect LeBron to be uh, everything that he needs to be. 
you know, I'm not looking at this series at all thinking that LeBron is going to be, is going to fold in, in some, like, I think about Chris Paul comparing, you know, similar age, similar kind of age <laughs> bracket. Uh, yeah, like it's it's no shade. Um, but Chris, you know, couple every every year for the last four or five years, really, we've seen him at earlier and earlier points in the playoffs kind of hit that hit that sort of threshold where his body is like, nah, nah, not today. <laughs> um, <laughs> Breaking news, say, Chris Paul, not LeBron James. I will say if we get that <laughs> moment that we got for Chris Paul last year. Like there was that moment and it was like, Oh, his body's breaking down like right now on live television. I'm watching a man go geriatric. Like if that happens, (laughs) if that happens to LeBron, I will, I I will be shocked. I legitimately will. But the question, it's a fair point, Peter, like it comes for everyone, you know, and does he have it for three or four games as opposed to just that, that two games, like he's going to hit you with a big punch, but can he keep throwing them? Does he still have it? We'll see. That's, that's really my fear too. I'm going to, I'm just assuming full, the fullness of LeBron's basketball being, uh, being available throughout the series. So to kind of move to that next guy, I mean, obviously, Jokic is going to be there. Um, Anthony Davis. Anthony uh, Day 2 Davis. I don't want to disrespect his head injury, you know, because head injuries are real. They're important. You should be considerate of them. But just in terms of uh, of a basketball context, the last time we saw the Lakers in the playoffs, you know, to kind of speak about that overwhelming size and bringing in a guy like AD along with other bigs to give him that help, um, do you worry about that at all in, in terms of, so it's not Anthony Davis of the bubble and, you know, multiple other sort of goon squad seven footers. Um, but they do have reinforcements and most of those reinforcements are more at the four. Sorry. Most of those reinforcements are at the forward position. Peter, how much do you worry about them, you know, guys like we, we've seen Jock Landale have a big impact in that Sun Series just off the nature of his effort and energy and hustle and physicality. Um, Anthony Davis, along with guys like Jared Vanderbilt, I don't know if Obama's going to see the floor. We'll see how much he does. But um, how much do you worry about those guys in terms of just having an impact? Yeah, Was that so for me? You actually uh, are Peter. leading me right into my my second biggest question of the series, and that is, how does Darvin Ham initially approach what he thinks is the best way to beat the Nuggets? Does he? So they're going to start Davis, LeBron, and and then they'll probably go with Reeves as like a combo guard. He's about six five. Are they going to play big? and start Vanderbilt and have him play the four slash five where the three, or are they going to slide LeBron up to four and have another guard in there like Schroeder or Walker or something? Because what he's, what the decision that Darvin Ham has to make is, do we want to make this a physical series and, and try to beat the Nuggets by playing in great defense? Or do we need to be able to keep up and, and have more spacing and hit more shots? Because 
I personally think that the Nuggets are going to be okay on on offense in this series. I, I do. I just think that Jokic is so big and so physical that he's going to take enough out of Davis that Davis won't be like a huge impact offensively. He'll be good, but he won't be like dominating the way he did the Warriors because he's just going to guard Jokic. You know, I think Davis will be okay on defense, but I think the Lakers are going to realize that they're going to have to play smaller to, to keep up with Denver. That's my prediction. So, you know, the Lakers have been hot. They, they have a bunch of guys that are kind of hitting above their watermark um, from three. Lonnie Walker had a huge game. You know, Reeves has been a good player, but even D'Lo had some big games. You know, he, he's had big games in the past, but the Lakers have been kind of doing it by committee. You know, I think Van Eckville, it'd be interesting to see. Like, I, I honestly don't know what to expect there, Ray. I, I know that's not great analysis, but I just think <laughs> that's fine. Vando's like a very random player. You know, he's – he like – Everybody thought Montrez Harrell was going to be good, right? Because he won six man of the year. And what happened? Jokic dominated him. So, you know, different players. Vando, Vando's a better defender than uh, Harrell. But I I don't think uh, I don't think Vanderbilt is going to be that big of a factor in this series because he's not a good offensive player. So if he's not, you know, great on defense or on the boards, he just doesn't help them win that much. They, they need the the spacing and the scoring more. Can I tell you who I think sees actually a surprising amount of minutes in this series? Tristan Thompson. Is it your, uh, your... Oh, no. No. Yeah, I think he... I actually think... You know, I... I, <laughs> I know it's a little season? ridiculous. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. But... Okay, I was expecting to hear today. It's not. It's not. But I think at a certain point, when you are fighting an uphill battle, I think oftentimes you got to go to things that you haven't really uh, considered at that to that point. And as much as to your point, Jared Vanderbilt is also limited offensively. I also think he's limited in the weight room, where what I think. Denver struggled with the most in their prior matchup was the fact that when you have Dwight Howard next to Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard is a guy who is not only is he a big, he is a true, a big in the most traditional truest of senses that he is seven feet tall, 250 plus pounds. Um, Jared Vanderbilt listed 214, you know, uh, Rui Hachimura listed at 230. Um, I think Tristan Thompson, I also, to, to your, to your question of like, do you go with physicality? Do you go with smaller players? I actually go the other way. I actually think for the Lakers, their best bet is to try to muck up the game and to try to win that physicality battle. Okay. And who's a guy who I think <laughs> LeBron trusts. And uh, he also has a lot of influence, you know, just in this general situation with the way, you know, that, that's a whole conversation, but I think uh, Tristan Thompson is a guy who they are going to feel comfortable putting out there, especially against Denver's uh, smaller ball lineups and and just I say small ball, but all, anything with Aaron Gordon at the four. Um, I think he's a guy we'll see. <laughs> that that's all I'll say. It, it, uh, so, oh, Damon, I'll pass it off to you. How um, when you think about 
the approach you might see from the Lakers in terms of going small or going big. You know, maybe you don't believe in Tristan Thompson seeing the floor in the series as I do. That's okay. You don't have to. Um, they do have other centers. They've got Mo Bamba. They've got um, they've got Vando. They've got Rudy Moore. So, who do you think? How do you think the Lakers approach Denver? I mean, I believe in Tristan Thompson, just, you know, and in, in so much as that he's a real person and that he does exist. Uh, he's out there. He's he's not make-believe. But, um, uh, I mean, the last time we saw this series, it was definitely – it was different coaching, obviously. Uh, but the Lakers brought that, that physicality mindset that – they're going to sun the Nuggets, for lack of a better term. Um, they had three big men that were basically given a green light to, you know, use those six fouls, you know, and take it to Jokic. And they were actually effective big men. Like, rolling out JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, even past their prime, those are centers that have accomplished things in these leagues. Those are centers that have – they know how to play the game. They're, they're, they're good at – the game and they're experienced but they don't have that skill and depth to their size like i i don't trust mo bamba half as much as i trust even a washed up dwight howard right so i would think that they try to go smaller personally i don't think that looking at it i mean you watched Jokic and Aaron Gordon match up against Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. They literally played two centers against us and it didn't work. Like, so I don't know that they're going to look at the drawing board and see what they've seen this playoffs and analyze what the nuggets have done this, this postseason and decide that size is the way to beat them. Um, I would think, you know, playing fast, pushing the break. I, I think that Schroeder is definitely going to be in that starting lineup, and it, he's going to be pushing the ball, and they're going to try to go for a little bit of what uh, Phoenix thought was working for them uh, with campaign, with finding that extra bit of pace and seeing if they can, you know, get us on our heels. That'd be my expectation. Hmm. That's fair. I, you know, you never know. I, I think everyone has their own theory, but... We'll see what happens. I think they there's a lot of they might try both. You know that that also might be true. That that um, what we saw a lot of in Phoenix was that they threw everybody that they could into the game and and just saw what stuck. So I'm interested to see how to kind of turn it around. This is a matchup that Denver has seen before, uh, particularly, you know, Michael Malone, Nicola, Jamal, guys that were in the bubble. How, Peter, do you see the Nuggets approaching the Lakers where Denver hasn't had to make, in my mind, tons of meaningful adjustments to how they approach the game so far? But are there any things that you think they would change in this series versus the series prior? Oh, that you just look how a team is guarding them and pretty much just plays accordingly. Um, if we're being honest, Anthony Davis has been the best player 
defensively in these playoffs so far. I mean, he completely changed the Warriors' lives in that series, just scaring them from even attempting to go to the basket. The good news is the Nuggets don't really have like a downhill point guard that, that's trying to, to get in the, the paint and make things happen the way like a John Moran is and stuff. The Nuggets play a much more like swing the ball in the perimeter type game. They do cut to the basket, but if AD is going to guard Jokic, then he's going to be guarding him at the elbow or even further out, you know, up top. And so hopefully the Nuggets can pull Davis away from the rim, which can really open up guys to the basket. But I think it, the Lakers are pretty big, man. It's, it's going to come down to the Nuggets hitting shots, which they've been doing all year. So the Nuggets have a very versatile attack. We'll see if they have to change stuff, but – I'm just going to be interested to see, like, do they do the, the Lakers put AD on Jokic right away, or do they put somebody like Vanderbilt on him and, you know, let AD roam? I, I don't think that would work. I think Jokic would just back Vanderbilt down until somebody has to help and somebody's going to be wide open every time. I think for the Lakers to win this series, they need Anthony Davis to play big time. So that's – I actually kind of agree with you, uh, and that's probably so. The reason I think Tristan Thompson plays is I think he's that guy that they say, okay, stand in front of Jokic. You don't have to stop him. You just have to play that kind of positional, like hold your ground style of defense, mm-hmm. and and you let Anthony Davis uh, kind of be that guy. Where to your point, I don't think Jared Vanderbilt can do that. I just don't think he has the size, the weight. The, the center of mass, the mass, yes, to like contend with Jokic in the paint and be an obstacle. And, and especially when you start to talk about uh, free throw disparities and sort of refereeing in the way that oftentimes smaller players do get that sort of benefit of the doubt and the ability to be a little bit more physical uh, in, in the paint. I think that's kind of the option that they go with, but. I, I do feel like no matter who they're playing with, their uh, best bet. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe they can try and say Anthony Davis. Yeah, you can stop Jokic, right? You're you're AD. You're the lockdown guy. But I, I doubt it. That's all I'll say. I don't know that Anthony Davis has wanted to take that role in his career, but more so than that, also I think. I agree with Peter's point that you want to pull him out of the paint. You want to limit his uh, strongest defensive ability, which is as a rim protector and a paint clogger. Uh, But to that point, the last time we saw them play a playoff series was in the bubble. And when Jokic started hitting three-pointers in the bubble, it was full-on just written off as a fluke. He's hitting these because he's in the bubble. He was... Not the three-point shooting Jokic that we, you know, have come to understand. No, this guy can really put 40% on you for a series and just not flinch. He can shoot that. That's just where he lives. So I think it'll be very interesting to see how, you know, how AD reacts to that. Jokic loves to spend a little more longer moment lingering at the top of the break than he used to because he knows that shot's there for him and he's so good at it. So... If AD is not ready for that to, you know, cover everything from the perimeter down to the rim when it comes to Jokic, Jokic is going to make him work for it. So 
I'm very interested in that matchup. That's that's really to me Anthony Davis is the Lakers key to this series. Hundred mm-hmm. yeah, percent. We uh, we talked a little bit earlier, or at least I talked a little bit earlier about Jamal's game and how impactful that can be in determining just how healthy Denver's offense is. Going into this matchup, I think the main, I imagine, you know, he's going to see a lot of uh, Lonnie Walker, a lot of Austin Reeves. Um, Peter, how do you feel going into this series for from Jamal's perspective and what you expect out of him? Um, a lot of times in the past, Denver has uh, tried to contend with Los Angeles where there's been a lot more attention on Jokic. Jamal's had a lot of opportunity to kind of produce. How impactful do you feel like he's going to be in this series? Um, and how would you maybe compare that to prior ones? Do you think he's going to... What trends do you think will continue, I suppose? You know, we talked about him finding that balance a little bit more of offensive aggression and playmaking. Do you think they're going to be able to lean on that especially down the stretch, you know, talking about passing to guys like Michael Porter, uh, Aaron Gordon, when it's not uh, Landry Shamit playing defense, it's LeBron James. Yeah, um, I think the good news is he's got a lot more help now. Um, I think Le- I think uh, Jamal has the ability to go off a game or two in the series. It'd be great. But I, I, I have to know that he's smart enough and confident enough in his teammates that he can just read the game and make the right plays, and he'll have some games where he scores 20. He might have some games where he's in the teens, but, you know, if you think back to that bubble series, that was pretty good against the Lakers. The rest of our guards were not good. Gary Harris didn't have a good series. Will Barton didn't play. Um, and Monte, you know, he was okay, but he's, he's just so undersized, you know, and then – this is the first year we've really had a more playoff-ready roster where our guards are two-way guards. I mean, if you think back to the Lakers guards in that series, KCP was excellent. Caruso was excellent. Um, I forgot who their other main guard was, but KCP's on our side now, and he's playing great. Um, Bruce Brown playing great. So just the guard matchup in general, Ray, I think is fascinating. I think our guys have been more consistent. You know, like I mentioned, they've had different guys step up, but – I think Jamal, as long as he doesn't put the pressure on himself to play hero ball, I think we're going to be okay. It's If I start seeing that look, or if, like you've mentioned, if he's holding the ball too long, that's when I'm starting to lose confidence. Be like, uh-oh, what are we doing? Like, this isn't what we've has won us games all year. Like, let's play team ball. And then in the fourth, you can go to that Jokic-Murray two-man game. So I just hope he doesn't put too much pressure on himself because he's such an intense player player and competitor that if he just trusts his guys like i really think that this is going to be a coming out party for like mpj and ag those guys both have good matchups on on the other end can i um so i have a theory that kind of fits along these lines actually about how the reverse can happen in terms of how denver might approach los angeles so basically you know, we talk about a lot about um, offensive, the health of the offense in, in the way that they play. Jamal Murray being a point guard or not a point guard or what have you. How responsible they are as ball handlers. Yes, Jamal, you know, he might be a guy I have questioned. 
You know who I don't believe are responsible ball handlers on any day of the week? It's Dennis. Dennis Schroeder? <laughs> yeah, it's Dennis Schroeder and um, D'Angelo Russell. You know, both of those guys, I think, are, are NBA players who are very susceptible to falling in, you know, just falling in love with less than stellar offensive process, such that I think if you're Michael Malone approaching the Lakers and looking for ways that you can attack them and kind of um, maybe even get the ball out of LeBron's hands in some ways, I kind of hope, and this is something I think about, I hope they kind of give Dennis and D'Angelo some space. You know, let them get really comfortable in that mindset of, okay, we're gonna, we're paying all this attention to LeBron, we're paying all this attention to Anthony Davis, let's see the other guys kind of step up. Um, uh, well, Damon, I'm kind of curious how you both feel about this. Do you, one, do you feel like that could be fruitful? And two, in general, what do you expect from the other guys from Los Angeles, from the um, the Dennis Schroeders, the D'Angelo Russells, uh, maybe even like a Rihachimura, somebody who has had some good games in the playoffs so far? I mean, uh, to briefly touch on uh, just the Jamal piece, just let's realize that also he's been having offensive powerhouses like at the guard spot that he's had to play off of on the other side of the floor. He's not the main cover for uh, Anthony Edwards. He wasn't the main cover for Devin Booker, but he took those assignments. So I think that's going to be a shift right there. Um, And I a hundred percent agree with you, Ray, about, you know, we let uh, Cameron Payne, we let Akogi get their comfort kind of going. um, And, Landry Shamit as well. And there was a game or two where that really cost us and it bit us in the ass and they won. But at the end of the day, when you're looking at a long playoff series, when you're looking at how do I get to four wins out of seven, sometimes that may be by forcing you to ride the inconsistent hand. And I agree with you. Uh, They have a lot of capable, but inconsistent hands. Uh, I don't trust Rui Hachimura to absolutely perform that way night in and night out across the seven-game series. So that's what I expect from their others is inconsistency. I mean, we've seen it from their second-best player throughout this playoffs where Anthony Davis can't be trusted to turn in his best performance night in and night out. And I, I just find it a bridge too far to expect Lonnie Walker and... Austin Reeves to step up to the level that, you know, Anthony Davis has at times not been able to. So that's kind of how I see it. I think that they've got the strength of depth, but I don't think they have the, the experience consistency that's going to, you know, step up and pull a KCP game six, like we saw in Phoenix. You know who I think actually could have an interesting series? Somebody who's, I'm like, kind of curious how this goes for him. Malik Beasley. Not because he hasn't, he's uh, by and large not really in their rotation. But if there's one thing I've seen throughout Malik 
Beasley, particularly in his non-Nuggets tenures in Minnesota and, and kind of somewhat in Los Angeles, is that he gets up for Nuggets games. That that he sees the team on the counter, he sees the team that traded him. Uh, and for whatever reason, I mean, for, I think, very understandable reasons, he kind of comes ready to play. Uh, Peter, do you see him as a guy who, A, do you think he'll see the floor? And, and B, do you see him or any of the Lakers role players as having a meaningful impact on the series? I would be surprised if we see him in non-garbage time in game one or game two, probably. But I do kind of feel like he's a good matchup for for them playing against us. Like, I would play easily against this because you need to score to beat us. You know, we're going to be in rotation. The one thing the Nuggets give up sometimes is open threes, and he's one of their best shooters. So I think it'd be a mistake if they don't play him. I guess they don't trust him probably because of the defense, and I know he's been cold for a while. Um, the guy that worries me the most is, is Austin Reese. I just think he's a very solid player that has a lot to his game. Um, D'Angelo Russell is, he's, he's had a pretty good playoffs, you know, he's, he's a good player, but I, I just don't know if, if, if he's going to be able to keep going on this stage. I mean, obviously there's less pressure on him because LeBron has the ball a lot and he can kind of just do as little or as much as he needs to. But I, I just think this is a different level, man. I, I know we're Nuggets fans and Nuggets homers, but like the, the Memphis Grizzlies were so depleted, um, I saw the Grizzlies still work pretty hard and get tons of wide open shots in that series, and they just couldn't hit them because they don't shoot. I mean, Dylan Brooks was just bricking everything. Um, you know who's who plays small forward for Denver? Michael Porter Jr. Over forty percent. So if same defense the Grizzlies, it's not going to work. Um, then they played the Warriors, and the Warriors won a couple games, but. The Warriors threw up a brick fest in game six. I mean, Clay was just – he wasn't hitting anything. I think he was like three for 18 or something. So, I mean, yeah, like guys can get cold, but I just I just have confidence that the Nuggets have such a good offense that I don't see what the Lakers can really do to slow them down. It's it, – you know, it, I guess now talking it through, it makes sense what you said, Ray. I, I do think the Lakers will probably try to play big and try to be physical and just try to wear the Nuggets down and keep them up. We'll see. I, I think either way, like whether they try to go small, I think that comes with a lot of penalties and drawbacks when you're talking about playing against Michael Porter and Aaron Gordon at the forward spots. And then kind of similarly, if they try to do match them size for size, it, there's, um, you know, Denver's offensive production and complexity and robustness throughout that, that rotation, uh, I think could be pretty punishing. One thing I will One, say on the size, uh, I know I did say I expect them to go small a little bit, but it's coming. You know, the smaller they go, the more Anthony Davis is going to have to mark Jokic. He's going to have if you go small, Anthony Davis is your five. Yep. He's a pure. So, I mean, I don't know that he's going to want to do that. I mean, it's, it's that's really the whole the most interesting thing about this to me is that I think the most effective they sh- shot they have is parking ad on Jokic all series and saying like hey we're gonna try and find the offense elsewhere give us what you can but like 
make this dude work his ass off every second of every game. And we'll see. I don't I don't know that Anthony Davis is like uh, up for it, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I mean, even if he is up for it, can he hold up? I think for an extended series, when you're talking about the minute totals that they've played, being in playoff mode, quote unquote, for long stretches of the back half of the season, uh, for the longer series that the Lakers have played, for the travel, for going into Denver and coming back home and kind of going through that that process. I think there's a lot that's going to be on Anthony Davis's shoulders in this series um, to, to kind of close it out a little bit. So I'm going to give you guys the room and the space to make predictions if you have the feeling or not. Um, Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it to you first. Is there, it doesn't, it can be uh, if you want to predict the final score or if you want to predict uh, anything specific that's letting you, you know, not so much like a game outcome, but maybe uh, something about a certain player, you know, floor is yours. So I was obviously too chicken to make a prediction in the last series. Look like a fool now. I believe uh, last <laughs> pod I did at least uh, predict that if we held the, Katie and Booker under 80 that we would win. So I know I will win there. But I do have uh, – I'm going to dip my toe in the water a little more. I'm not going to go full-on serious prediction, but I'm going to make a pretty, I think, bold prediction based on just some historical stats that I got for you guys. So LeBron James is players of all time. He's played in a ton of playoff series. When he wins game one of a playoff series, he's 29 and two in those series. When he loses game one, he's 12, which is still good, but much more pedestrian, right? The Lakers have had some time. Their formula has basically been win game one and then win their games at home. So my prediction is the team that wins game one is going to win this series. Okay. That is um, a reasonable prediction and i I appreciate that uh that doesn't seem like something that will curse the nuggets uh in a serious way i'm not you know you know um so damon i'll pass it to you do you do you have any predictions about how this uh nuggets lakers series will go it could be record but it could also be like maybe some guy plays some guy doesn't play some guy has a good game some guy doesn't have a good game I predict that I have two that I've thought of. So I do have a, uh, a series prediction. Um, I've, I've, I've stuck to it since, since the beginning and I'm going to stick with my gut. So I feel like the nuggets get it done in six. I'll just say that off the bat, but in terms of looking at the series and actually predicting how it happens, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to predict that, Jamal Murray is going to absolutely torch the Los Angeles Lakers. I think he is going to have them in hell. I think he is going to come out Man, from the game so one. I just, I, I just don't see anybody on their squad that is fast enough, skilled enough uh, on the defensive side of the ball and really a good matchup for him. If if Okogi didn't work, if if Tory Craig didn't work, I just I just I really struggle to see Dennis Schroeder or Austin Reeves 
giving him troubles at this stage in his career. So I think I think we're in for a huge Jamal series. I think Jokic is obviously going to be as consistent as always, but I think that uh, I think that Jamal Murray is going to be one of the big reasons that we uh, absolutely power through this one. That's fair. I mean, I, I do look at him as the, I mean, if you want to say my best guy versus your best guy, I think Jokic and LeBron, you know, somewhat close, but AD to Jamal, especially when you talk about Mike and Aaron Gordon, you know, being the sort of third and fourth guy versus, um, I don't know who their fourth guy, I guess Rui Hachimura is their fourth guy and Austin Reeves. I do give, you know, the Nuggets sort of uh, secondary players that that edge. Um, my prediction is this. I actually have two. I, I can't say I know how this series is going to go record-wise. I do... <laughs> I'm going to double down on five being more likely than six, but seven being more likely than five. But I, will, I, I do think this happens. I think Christian Brown takes Austin Reeves' spot in the NBA landscape. That I think people are going to watch this game, watch this series, realize that actually Christian Brown is just like the better version of Austin Reeves with better hair. Um, That's... That's probably the thing I would stick to the most. And then I actually think on Denver side, I think this is the series where Jeff Green has to sit down at some point. Like I, I to this point, I don't think it's cost Denver a whole lot. Let me ask you, Ray, do you think he will have a tougher time guarding Anthony Davis or LeBron than he did KD? Because I just, like, when I saw yeah. that matchup, I was like, KD is, like, the worst type of... He's he's finesse, he's quicker, he's taller. I don't know. I just feel like... I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I, I well, first off, yeah, that first layer, very much so. LeBron and Anthony Davis are much more a problem, I think, for Jeff partly because I think LeBron's a little bit more physical than Kevin Durant, that Kevin Durant does, uh, he has a favorite shot, that he is mostly looking for that shot. At the same time, um, and to kind of go back two series ago, I think Jeff did a fine job while he doesn't contribute tons and tons of physicality, recognizing the weaknesses of Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert that those are also two players who Rudy on the one hand just isn't very skilled outside of like two feet from the basket. And then cat also kind of similar to the Katie doesn't, you know, he kind of wants the shots that he wants and he's going to kind of get to those and you don't really have to worry about him bullying you to the basket too much, but where I really think it's going to be impactful and where I really think it's going to matter because we're not going to see Jeff green on LeBron or AD too much. I actually think it's that second layer. It's the bench minutes. It's, uh, you know, I think Jared Vanderbilt is kind of a problem for Jeff Green in, exa- in a lot of the similar ways in Hachimura as well. Similar ways that um, Jock Landale was for Jeff. I think the f- just guys who are going to run and be physical and rebound 
are just going to give Jeff a tougher time. So not to say that Jeff is going to Jeff is going to have up and down games someday. I guarantee you there's going to be a game where he scores and makes some big shots and you're like, oh, wow, Jeff, great minutes, contributes, you know, reliable player. And then you'll have some games where Jeff puts up two points and no rebounds in 30 minutes. But where I really think it's going to come is that the bench needs that little bit more of an edge size-wise at the forward spots physicality wise, you know, in terms of rebounding and those things. Um, that's my prediction. We will see what happens. Maybe Shaq Harrison gets in the game. That would be fun. That would be, uh, you know, maybe you're, you're looking at Jamal like, oh, wow, or Austin didn't work. We fouled out Lonnie. did not really working out uh, for whatever reason. Malik, uh, you're not a good defender. Maybe you throw out Shaq Harrison. You know, you never know. It could happen. That would be fun. I would enjoy that. Um, so yeah, uh, unless you guys have anything else you wanted to add, um, shots at the Lakers fan base you wanted to take, I think we can, uh, close out here. Lakers fans suck. They excited, do suck. Nervous, but excited. <laughs> <laughs> They're no, a lot like next time, next time we talk next Sunday. After we'll have... uh, three games, hopefully it's up two one or maybe even better. Yeah. Oh, that would be so sweet, Peter, if we were up 3-0. Oh, my goodness. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I really wouldn't. I think how is, you know, last series, the Suns were able to win both of their games at home. Mm -hmm. Even though I think Denver could have played a little bit better. You know, I think in both of those games, there are some adjustments they could have made from just stylistic, maybe rotational sense whatever you want, a, a number of different things you could have done a little bit better that gets them over that hump. I think if Denver can iron out those things, uh, especially on the Lakers floor in those two games at home and either of them, and you win one of those games, uh, yeah, that would be immeasurably valuable going forward. So if you, uh, if you're listening and you made it this far, we really appreciate you. This is probably one of our, I have to check, one of our longest episodes so far, but I do think there's a lot to dig into uh, on this subject and hopefully some good news to report next week. So um, I'm Ray. You can find me online at Raven Hagshaw, Peter at Bucketson's 88, Damon at uh, three cola underscore Jokic. And you can find the pod at four corner pod. So we will uh, see you next time. And as always go nuggets. <laughs>